What's up, y'all? Welcome to the Sports Psych MDs podcast. Thanks for tuning in. This is episode number 12, and it's a public service announcement. So if you've been paying attention to the news recently, we've had two recently retired NFL athletes come out about how they use marijuana consistently throughout their entire playing careers to deal with different injuries and anxieties. So we wanted to set the record straight. Is marijuana helpful for anxiety? Is it helpful for pain? Is it helpful for sleep? Or are there more risks? Is there side effects? Is it actually dangerous? Spoiler alert, a lot more studies need to be done. Uh, We also talk about vaping, and that's been in the news recently. We talk about opiates, including fentanyl. And Armin brings up a very intriguing topic. He talks about the sad history of the criminalization of marijuana and its relationship to the African-American community. And we discuss what can be done to, to not only make up for this, but also for other past atrocities. And how can marijuana actually be involved in making things better? So I'm lo- looking forward to you guys hearing this one. Let's, let's dive in. Mike, check one, two. It's a beautiful night in the neighborhood. What? Broadcasting live from West Los Angeles, California. Sports Psych MDs, Armin Sports and Tori. Psych MDs podcast. What's going on, y'all? We have a public service announcement. We thought it would be meaningful and perhaps hopefully useful to have a discussion tonight about marijuana. Marijuana. Cannabis. And, and opioids, as in things like heroin, oh. things like prescription narcotics, the Norcos, the Percocets, Percocets Oxycontins, Oxycodone, Percocet. all that good stuff, right? The goods, the pain relievers, the analgesics, the post-operative medications you get from the surgeons, the ones you get from like the dentist after you get you know, oral surgery or what have you. Oh, yeah. I love oral surgery. Great medicines, and we all know the benefits of marijuana. Yes. But these things can also fuck you up, right? <laughs> like, let's keep it real. Like, yeah. They have their benefits. They have their usefulness. But the bottom line is like, when you don't do them the right way, when you don't treat them right, they, they're not going to treat you right. And that's what, that's what we're talking about today. So yeah. the reason we want to talk about this is because we've been seeing a lot of things in the news recently that yep. have sparked our interest. So I think it was about a month ago or so, Calvin Johnson. Yeah. You know Megatron? Yes. 6'5", 230, wide receiver yes, for the Detroit Lions. Game changer, right? Probably. Uh, I'm going to go on a limb here. Correct me if I'm wrong. I know maybe the most talented wide receiver of all time. Oh man, that's the LeBron tough. James of, of NFL yeah, I'll give at some you that. point. I give you that. Um, oh, it was me that bring up LeBron in the first five minutes. He had of the it all. He had it all. He had it all. You Ugh. know, he, he had the the size, the speed, the agility. He could jump out the gym. The you know whatever. Oh, and his foot speed for how tall um, he was. Yeah, and you know he he could go up and get it. He had it all. It's just Jerry Rice, man. There's just he. There was just it was something about you know what it was. And it's going to be, it's always going to be like this when it comes to, to, to sports and athletes. This is just in that, and warriors, warriors in general, military, you know, combat through the years. History teaches us that to the victor go the spoils, right? Like that's just the way it's always been. It's all about winning and, nah. and victories and rings. How many rings know? does he have? And that's the problem is as great as Calvin Johnson was. No Super Bowls. Yeah, he's on the Detroit Lions, though. It doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. So, right? so yeah, I'm glad you brought Jerry Rice up. Mm-hmm. Calvin Johnson broke Jerry Rice's single-season receiving yards record. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. With Matthew Stafford it's and amazing. part of the Detroit That's, Lions. Uh, no, I, I agree. I mean, he was, he was amazing to watch. But Jerry Rice, probably the smoothest mm. NFL player of all time. And he did it when it counted oh, yeah. the most. How many Super Bowls does he have with the 49ers? Uh, he had three Super Bowls. Um, he had two back-to-back with Montana in the late 80s. And then he had one with Steve Young oh, yep. in the mid-90s. Yeah. yeah, he's the greatest. You think greatest football player of all time? Um, Him or Lawrence Taylor? 
Yeah. In football, it's so hard, you know, because uh, like offense and defense are different. And LT, definitely the greatest defensive player of all time. There's no question about that. You could say that Jerry Rice, he's, he's definitely one of the greatest offensive talents. Offensive Who you got? Players of all time. But I, I just... Don't say it. Uh, it's between Brady and Montana okay. for me. I love Joe Montana because just like Michael Jordan, right, he was undefeated. There's something about you know having that chance, that one shot, that one shot, right, and putting it all out there and every single time being confronted with that challenge coming home with the, the W. Like, okay. There's something so special and sweet all about right. that. Uh, all right. I see it. I like that. I like that. So Calvin Johnson, one of the all-time greats, I think. I think he's going to be a Hall of Famer, even though he retired early after only nine seasons at the age of 30. I know. Um, partially yeah. maybe because he was on the Detroit Lions. That's what, But that's what the true greats do, though. Like, Remember Barry Sanders? Yeah. Well, also a Detroit Lion. Barry Sanders yeah. is my greatest of all time, by the way, so I'm glad you, you mentioned him. Mm-hmm. I mean, talk about smooth, quick, that spin move, the juke move. I, as a kid, I was pretty much laminated to my TV. No, he could do things that no one else could could do then and can do now. Yep. Like it was just absolutely amazing. He's the guy that could go 10 yards backwards and still make a play, still get positive yardage. In some cases, still break it for yep. you know, a, a touchdown. <laughs> all right. crazy. So we're going to be going on tangents all day today. No, yeah. I think but, that's the vibe. But, but Calvin, Calvin Johnson, listen, there's a lot we could say about what he did on the field, but there's actually even more we could say about what he's doing off the field currently. Yeah. Because this dude's turning into a business mogul. Yeah, and I want to get into that. But bef- Low key. before I get into that, this is, I guess, probably what set the stage for what he's currently doing within business. But he said, quote unquote, when I got to the league, there was opiate abuse. He said, you could really go into the training room and get what you wanted. Yeah. I can get Vicodin. I can get Oxycontin. I use Percocet. And he said he didn't like the way it made him feel. And his preferred choice of medicine, and he called it medicine, is cannabis. He would smoke pot after every game on Sunday. Okay. That was his, I guess, Sunday night routine, according to him. He did this interview with Sports Illustrated at, at the beginning of September, at the end of September. Man, I wonder how he got around the, the, the drug test, because you got these dudes like your your boy, I, you know, Josh Gordon. Oh, Josh Gordon, yeah. But uh, if you want to hear more about Josh Gordon, that's uh, the substance use episode. Check that out. But I'm surprised that he never got caught, and he never did. But he mentioned one of the reasons he used it was for pain control, and he didn't like mm-hmm. the narcotics that the NFL kind of handed out like candy. We talked about the sideline pharmacist. Sure um, did. Yeah. He said he counted on his own. He had at least nine head in- injuries during his playing career. He categorized these as he would hit the, hit the ground really hard with his head, and he'd be seeing stars, and he couldn't see straight. Wow. But he says he knew after a couple minutes, that he was going to be fine because he. this is something that he had been through on multiple occasions. And throughout his career for the Detroit Lions, he was never listed on the That's injury report. That's true. Well, no, hold on. Now, Calvin Johnson, for head I injuries. feel like over oh, head injuries. Okay, that, that yeah, dude was hobbled a couple times. Yeah. Yeah. But oh, because you had him on your fantasy team? Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely. He would of, often go in the first round. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, man, he was a monster. He really he was. was. Um, and and he, so he talked about this opioid problem, mm-hmm. right? And yeah, it makes sense. I mean, painkillers, right? Football. That was then, right? We're talking, I guess, talking about like 10 years ago, yep. 15 years ago. So let's talk about what's happening now. So here are some numbers I'll throw at you from the National Survey on Drug Abuse and Health, all right? Now, 130. This is the minimum, minimum estimate of 130 people die every day from opioid-related drug overdoses in this country. Oh, Yeah. You got fentanyl uh, on the streets now. Now, when this laced with fentanyl, High. it's a whole different, different ballgame. Police officers have to wear gloves when they're dealing with individuals who have overdosed because some of this fentanyl is so potent that if they touch the skin of someone who's overdosed and has been sweating, mm-hmm. just that alone will go through their pores and can cause an overdose in, in, the, in the police officers. Yeah, man. Fentanyl, just for you guys that don't know, it's 50 to 100 times more potent than morphine, which we use, you get that morphine <laughs> drip in the hospital. Man. Yeah. 
The problem is people are manufacturing this on their own mm-hmm. and putting it out there in the street. So you, you don't actually know how much fentanyl you're getting, and that's why we're having more and more overdoses. And that's why cities like Philadelphia are currently considering doing, quote unquote, or I don't know the exact name of it, but they're going to have safe houses, essentially. Safe spaces where you can go and use your, bring your own heroin, B-Y-O-H, bring your own heroin, and they'll give you needles and you you inject your own heroin with a nurse standing by just in case you overdose. Then they can give you the Narcan, the Naloxone. Wow. That's uh, that's next level right yeah. there. So they're considering that in Philadelphia, and they already do that in certain um, European countries. That seems to go interestingly well with at least part of this this concept they're trying here in Los Angeles County uh, of street psychiatry. You know, I think that model could could work for for that particular program. Definitely. Um, Did you consider being a street psychiatrist? You know, um, maybe I'm a little more old school. <laughs> Uh, I kind of like the traditional controlled arms, environment chair kind of, you know. You don't want to go down the skid row and um, knock on I'll, people's tents. Here's what I, my thinking was: I'll let it. I'll see. You know, we'll see how it plays out. You know, we'll, we'll kind of right. go from there. I wanted to throw another number at the uh, the audience because this is interesting to me. Eleven point four million. Eleven point four million. It's a lot. So that's the number of people who misused prescription opioids in the year 2017 data, which that's that's nuts, you know, and I know these numbers have only like trended upwards. Yeah, wow. I feel like we've heard about the opioid epidemic for the last 10, 15 years, but it just keeps getting worse and worse. And I know they, they put a lot of regulations. Uh, obviously, we're prescribers. We don't prescribe opiates, but at the VA, did you have an opportunity to prescribe opiates when you're in like I, no. medicine clinic? You know, my, here is my thing. My stance on opioids is this. I look at them a lot like the way I look at benzodiazepines. Yeah. Okay. So you're talking about like Xanax, Ativan, Valium, right? Those types of drugs. Clonopin. Clonopin. K-pens. On and on. They have a lot of value in medical practice. Okay. Opioids. Benzos, no doubt, but their value primarily rests in acute care environments. Period. So when you're able, when you're in a, a monitored setting where doses and quantities and frequencies and so forth are regulated, when there's some people standing by in the event that something goes wrong, there's a medical emergency or you know cardiac arrest or something like that, like. Those kind of things are all critical when you're talking about dosing high-dose opioids or benzos or really anything with you know, high abuse potential. Yeah, right? it's got to be short-term. Short-term. So up to 30 days, I'd say up to six weeks, depending on the severity of the injury and the kind of recovery period. But that period of time, in all instances, should be with sort of a, a tapering schedule built in, meaning there's a gradual decrease in dose over time. When it comes to treating pain in particular, I'm not a pain doctor, but I, I do treat a lot of pain just as it relates secondarily to psychiatric illness. Absolutely. That's the one thing a lot of people yeah. don't know is pain 100% relates to psychiatric illness. Definitely. And mental illness. Definitely. And a lot of our meds are very helpful pain. The way I like to treat a pain is if it's acute pain, like post-operative pain is acute pain or traumatic pain. Yeah. I mean, I like to go big in the beginning, you know, really get ahead of it, you know, not, you know, obviously overdose, but at the higher threshold and then work your way down from there. You want to get them to a point where they feel comfortable. Absolutely. And the biggest problem with pain management is when people start at lower doses, mm-hmm. right? And they're not treating the pain adequately. They have to start increasing dose, right? To get more response, better signal. And then, you know, there's like that kind of anxiety and crisis phase where 
they don't know if they're going to be able to treat their pain adequately. It becomes more of a psychological, psychiatric issue at that point. Just to relate it back to what I'm doing uh, in the uh, psychiatric consult liaison service at Harbor UCLA, where I see we see a lot of adolescents and children who have gotten in motor vehicle accidents or maybe been shot or Mm. ran over by cars. Yeah, we see a lot of traumatic things, and obviously uh, these children are in severe pain, several fractures. Um, we load them up with opiates. One of the main things that's going to be helpful for them while they're in the hospital is to have adequate pain control, like you said. Mm-hmm. It prevents suffering, obviously, and it, will, it ultimately leads to better outcomes, not only with regards to healing from your, your, your physical injuries, but for your, the whole mental health aspect of it. Imagine undergoing some giant trauma and having a bunch of fractures, and then you have to sit in a, in a hospital bed for weeks at a time and excruciating pain. That's terrible. No, you control their pain, and that's actually one of the major things when you're trying to prevent development of a acute stress disorder or yep. post-traumatic stress disorder from a motor vehicle accident is control the child's pain. Yep. And you do that with opiates. So they are extremely effective, so effective. in these monitored settings. Yeah, for short term, for short durations in monitored settings, they're great. I mean, you're talking about like seizures. People come in with grand mal seizures. There's no better remedy than to start them off with a benzodiazepine treatment schedule by IV. You know, status epilepticus for anybody that knows folks that have epilepsy. You know, alcohol it's, it's a miracle drug. Alcohol, alcohol withdrawal. withdrawal. You know, which we see often in psychiatric emergency room settings. Panic attacks? Um, oh, yeah. I mean, look, you know, panic attacks, catatonia, a lot of, lot of great benefits for benzos, um, yep. a lot of so great benefits for opioids. Yeah, we're bouncing around from benzos to opiates. No, we don't want to combine them, though, very much, very never, often. Never, never, yeah. ever, ever. That's actually how a lot of guys die. A lot of these guys that have been found dead via overdose was because they were using heroin, you know, or you know, some sort of high-dose, unregulated dose of an opioid, and then they combine that with a benzodiazepine, yep. like Two a volume, like a volume, you know, like a Xanax. Or if know, they get their hands on some barbiturates. Forget about it. Yeah. 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 That's all so, she wrote. <laughs> that's lights out. Um, so, no, but the thing about it is we get it, right? And, and that's kind of really where we want to go with this conversation. Definitely not marijuana cannabis nazis so right? you're saying you want what well, we want to go we want to get our hands on the marijuana we want to regulate the yes. doses yes Tori. that's what it comes down to. that's what we're going to get to yeah let's circle so calvin johnson started his own cannabis company right called primitive he also has another um, company called locker room consulting which actually is is he made this to help players prepare for life after sports that's crazy. So he's That's a awesome. huge advocate for overall wellness for athletes and also an advocate for the use of uh, marijuana for pain control, which has obviously anecdotal evidence, meaning people have said, like, this is really helpful and I'd much rather smoke marijuana, use CBD, than use these uh, addicting narcotics. You know what that reminds me of? You know those people that, that you know, say that alcohol helps them kind of feel more confident in social settings, mm-hmm. almost oh, yeah. like kind of cure social anxiety. Yeah, nice little social lubricant. Yeah. And, I mean, that's really not what alcohol does, but we know that there's a certain dose, right? A certain measured dose. Everybody kind of knows, like, what that is, like, in terms of how you would much. Hope. Like, you know, it's either that, you know, half a glass of wine for some women, you know, or some women that I know from... Me personally. Are you, I feel like that's a gender stereotype. I like a nice half glass of wine. Absolutely. And I mean half a, glass, yeah. I'm, absolutely. I'm a two glass guy. Two yeah, glasses. Apparently Draymond does too, right? But, you know, like for me... LeBron does like two bottles. Yeah, and LeBron, right. For me, I'm all about my bourbon, you know. I got a, a nice glass of, let's say, Woodford Reserve Ooh, on nice. the rocks. You know, that's... As my go-to, and I can do like if I if I you know take that one drink over the course of like ten to fifteen minutes, you know, sipping, that gets me right where I need to be, you know, socially. So I get that's that. mature. That's awareness, right? Go to any college campus though, and 
people are still trying to figure out that awareness with it when it comes yeah, to the, that's, the right well, amount of drinks. And, and you know, it sort of actually really fascinates me because this is something that we struggle with all the time as psychiatrists. Alcoholism? Right. <laughs> that's been an ongoing problem since college, gosh. But no, I mean, no, it's seriously, it's, it's negotiating with patients between the self-medicating options, right, and our drugs, mm-hmm. and yeah, trying to help them what's understand. What's the difference, like, Doc? What's yeah, the difference? Because like, the self-medicating stuff, really, like the marijuanas, the opioids, right, the heroines, the, the alcohol, ecstasies, the alcohol, the, the, the nicotines, right. This stuff gets them high, right? My stuff doesn't really do that. There's a little euphoria attached to it's, each of those. It's, it's, yeah, exactly. The recreational stuff creates that euphoric experience. It, it induces that positive reinforcement. Yep. Right? It makes its presence felt. And that's what creates that need to come back to it. So that's like that psychological dependence exactly. or addiction. Yeah. And then over time, you get the physical dependence or addiction. Yeah. And, and, it, and it's hard to replace that. And like you said, I think ultimately we want to get to a point where marijuana is regulated and it can get to the hands of the researchers, the doctors, so we can determine if it has medicinal effects. So T, check this out. Crystal meth, very popular substance down here in Southern California, was the topic of that great AMC series, Breaking Bad, right? Oh, I think number one for me. Yeah, crystal, yeah. Crystal, crystal, man. Not crystal, but breaking bad. <laughs> so yeah. Um, so here's the thing about crystal. Like it it's structurally similar to amphetamine. Um, and we all know about amphetamines, you know, that's kind of the you know, the the medicine we use for, for ADHD. Adderall. And also has some similar properties to cocaine, obviously also a stimulant. But there are some key differences between crystal meth, which seems to be, you know, more popular nowadays than, than like say cocaine, which was kind of more of a thing in the, in the eighties and nineties. Crystal meth is actually man-made. So it's in synthetic, you know, and obviously you watch Breaking Bad, that all makes, makes sense. Breaking Bad. You know, the inhaling of the crystal, a crystal really produces a long lasting high, right? So again, like effects can last 12 to 24 hours. So the half-life, right? So 50% of the drug is still in the body after 12 hours. And the reason for meth being kind of unique to cocaine, right, they both, we, we've talked about neurotransmitters before. Oh, yeah. Is it okay for me to bring that up? Yeah, you can get into it. Okay. We talked a little, little bit, bit about meth. A little bit, works. not much. It's going to touch on a dopamine, right? Oh, we no. talked about dopamine, oh. good old dopamine. We all the re- love reward dopamine. System, the reward pathway, absolutely. Well, that is the, the, the thing that if we can stimulate that dopamine cycle, right? Then we can get the euphoria, then we can get the pleasure signaling and the reinforcement. Well, cocaine does that in one way by blocking dopamine reuptake. Crystal does it in two. Boom, boom. Not only does it block dopamine reuptake, it also increases dopamine release. So crystal actually ends up becoming much harder to get off of because it's so potent, binds that receptor so tightly. And, you know, it's interesting, man. It It is much more toxic. I've seen the result of chronic meth use in some of these psychiatric units, you know, in my clinics. It pretty much renders you demented. Like, and psychotic, oftentimes. And psychotic, and all the above. Yeah, like, your brain is fried. Like, yeah. I remember that commercial when I was a kid, uh, This Is Your Brain on, on Drugs. You know, they put the, mm-hmm. the, the egg in the frying yep. pan, you know, and it was like this they weren't like totally dramatic off. symbol. That's, it, yeah, that's meth. That's yeah. crystal meth, chronic, crystal or, meth, especially all, in a younger person. It's a lot of other things like huffing, inhalants. Oh. That straight up destroys your brain. Your brain actually goes away. Yeah, turns so, to mush. But, um, but circling back to this whole thing about how if the medications are controlled by the government and the FDA, you get... Adderall, mm-hmm. which is the same thing as meth, but thing. it's a very tiny controlled dose of meth. Yeah. And 
when used appropriately, it's safe yep. and yep. effective for attention, for two, behavioral two issues. Two very important things, things everybody loves, mm-hmm. safety and effectiveness. Exactly. So that's what we're trying to get at with regards to marijuana. Yeah. So shout out to Calvin Johnson. Also in the news, we had Percy Harvin. Former Florida Gator, won a national championship with them, played for the Vikings. Seahawks, won a Super Bowl with the Seahawks. All-purpose guy. Oh, yeah. Uh, Speedster, most recently played for the Bills. Mm -hmm. Special team specialist. Oh, yeah. He came out on Bleacher Report and did an interview. This was within the past couple weeks where he said that he was diagnosed with an anxiety disorder. If If you remember... If you ever had had him on your fantasy team, it was infuriating. He always would be out with migraines. Oh yeah, he. I do remember that. Unfortunately, or not, but he said he was diagnosed with an anxiety disorder, and at one point in time, highly comorbid mm-hmm. migraines and anxiety. He for was. Sure. He says he was seen at the Mayo Clinic, and was prescribed up to seven medications at once, and he mentioned one of them was Zoloft. Okay. And he said none of them worked. He said that the only thing that worked for him was marijuana. He said he only played when he was high on marijuana, and he used the drug to manage his anxiety. Mm. And this was, he said, because he ha- he was on a cocktail of seven medications that didn't work. I mean, you would never know as fast as that dude used to run. Yeah, quote unquote. It definitely didn't seem like he was high on, on anything. Quote unquote, the only high thing on that life. really seemed to work is when I would smoke marijuana. Quote unquote, there's not a game I've played in that I wasn't high. And he mentioned before the Super it's crazy. Bowl, these commercials make it seem like you, you know, they make you all slow and yeah. uncoordinated. Well, he he's saying here that it helps with anxiety. He knows there's a stigma to it, and ultimately, he explains also further that he says it's quote unquote it's people that's just living a regular life that just got deficiencies or just maybe want to enjoy themselves. It's a natural way to do so. Okay, let's dissect that a little bit. So. Marijuana, what, what are your thoughts on marijuana and, and anxiety? Does it help with anxiety? Well, let's talk about what marijuana is FDA approved for. Right? Okay. For starters, there's a, a medicine called dronabinol, also known as Marinol. And this is FDA approved for two things. One indication is for loss of appetite and like that weight loss and kind of wasting syndrome that can come along with uh, advanced HIV infection. And another key indication that's really, uh, I mean, in in both these cases, it's really changed lives in a dramatic way is with that really severe nausea and vomiting that can accompany chemotherapy. Yeah, and the Marinol is a synthetic THC. Yeah. And then also you have the CBD component, and FDA has approved Epidiolox, which is a purified form of CBD, which FDA approved for Lennox-Gastelt syndrome, which is a seizure disorder that affects children under the age of two. So those are the only things that marijuana or its components are FDA approved for, right? federally approved and studied and proven to be safe and effective, safe and effective for these disorders. Well, we might as well get into it. And one of the reasons that, to answer my own question from earlier, is it helpful for anxiety? We don't know. Marijuana is a Schedule One drug. It's as helpful for anxiety as a glass of bourbon is for social anxiety, right? It, it's 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 anecdotal. It it's subjective. It you know subjective. It, perfect. Placebo. Placebo. Ooh, placebo. All yeah. right. So I, I think. It's, I don't, I would argue, which is, which is, it's relevant. Well, yeah, it's relevant, but I'd argue against placebo because we don't know the exact effects that marijuana is having on our brains. We do know that our brains contain capitanoid receptors. We have cannabis receptors in our brains. Well known fact. Anyways, um, and maybe that's what Percy Harvin was mentioning when he was talking about uh, it's a natural way. Um, although arsenic's natural. But you don't want to take that, right? Um, and then anytime you smoke something, inhaling smoke is not healthy, regardless of what it is. Inhaling marijuana smoke is no healthier than inhaling cigarette smoke. Right. Um, maybe some people would argue there's a little bit more carcinogens carcinogens in cigarettes, but there has been known to be... Carcinogens, by the way, are cancer-producing compounds. Yes. Right. Where do you get your marijuana from? The marijuana store, right? Or... <laughs> 
<laughs> the North Pole. So where do you get your marijuana from? If you're lucky enough to live in one of the states where it's legalized, you can go to a recreational shop or a medicinal shop. But it's, it's you can not own your own. Absolutely, like Cal- up to six plants. Exactly. But you, so that would be actually the best way to do it because then you know you're not getting any pesticides in your marijuana. And there's been a lot of things in California where we have the strictest rules here. They found up to 80% of the cannabis products contain pesticides. Whoa. So you got to be careful. You don't know exactly what you're getting because it's it's just not FDA regulated. Going back to what I was saying, how many times have you had a patient come in and be like, Doc, the only thing that helps me calm down is marijuana. The only thing that helps me sleep is marijuana. At least once a week. Yeah. At least once a week. Usually several times a week, but at least once a week. And what are they coming to your office for most of the time? Anxiety and depression. <laughs> Issues with calming down and going to yeah, sleep still. For sure. Um, but it, there is that effect where initially marijuana can be an anxiolytic, can dissipate anxiety, at least for some people. Some people, they smoke it right away and they can become paranoid. But over time, you can become dependent. And then the withdrawal effects, guess what? A withdrawal effect of marijuana is anxiety. Then you have anxiety when you're not smoking and you smoke the marijuana and your anxiety goes down, but guess what? You're actually you may be just treating the withdrawal symptom mm-hmm. from not. So, T, having I hear you saying all this. I hear you saying all this, but but let me ask you a question. So, are you a supporter, or are you in opposition? Because I don't know where you stand. Well, it's not black. It's not a black and white I, it, issue, right? Well, it's and this not black and white. What we're but, we got to live in the gray. So, okay. here's what I'm trying okay. to say. Just like you have crystal meth, street meth. We have, as a medical community, Adderall. Right. Because any of these substances, and I'd argue with just about any substance, you can find some sort of medicinal use to it. But in order to find that medicinal use, you need to research it. You need to have rigorous research. And the fact that marijuana is a Schedule One means that you're not going to get any federal funding to do research. And yeah. it's NIH, for those of you who don't know... Millions, you know, if not billions, of dollars CDC, to put research into a, these things. Those are federal institutions. Exactly. So you have yeah. to get private funding to put do research with regards to marijuana. So a little bit of research gets done, but not as much that should be getting done. And you know what Schedule One means? It means there's no accepted medical use. Uh oh. So they're saying that for marijuana, but in other Schedule One, we just named three FDA. That <laughs> means federal government approved medical reasons or indications but for they, its use. But they, yeah, they've, they've approved a synthetic THC but won't take marijuana off the Schedule 1. They are looking at it currently, and a lot of states have kind of been bypassing this by legalizing marijuana within the state, but federally it's still illegal. Federally it's still a Schedule 1. Guess what are Schedule 2? Opiates. So we can study opiates. Wow. They need to decrease it so we can study it, research it, prove that it by doing large clinical trials that it can be helpful for certain things or prove that maybe it's not helpful. Maybe it is dangerous. Maybe there is side effects we're not thinking about. Maybe it does worsen anxiety. Maybe it's not effective for sleep. We do know that some people will pass out with marijuana when they smoke at night. Same way some people may pass out when they have a couple shots of Woodford Reserve, but we do know that it No one takes shots of Woodford Reserve. (laughs) Before they go to bed. Yeah, now you sip that. Yeah. You sip that. So you enjoy it. You savor it. You pass out, but it fragments your sleep. Like we, like does, we talked yeah. about in the Substance Use yeah. podcast, where you're not getting that deep, restful sleep. So you wake up, and even if you feel refreshed, you that lack of good sleep is going to catch up to you at some point. So anyways, what I'm just, I'm vying for us to study this. There's just too many unknowns out there. One thing we know for sure is that if you regulate the dose in the schedule, you can get medicinal benefits out of most drugs. Yeah. So that brings me to edibles because you can get a certain milligram of edibles, right? And maybe, and you're not smoking it, so that's healthier for you, right? Yeah, I would, I would argue that. But how do you know the milligrams you're getting is actually the potency you're getting? Just like when you get over-the-counter melatonin, many you may not know, that's not regulated. Just because it says five milligrams on the bottle, it could be 0.5 milligrams. It could be 10 milligrams. Most likely it's going to be more diluted. So that's why a lot of times we'll prescribe melatonin so you're getting it through the pharmacists. 
and it's just as cheap as over the counter, but you know it's regulated. It's been the the FDA has verified it. Yep. So it has to be decreased from a Schedule One first, then the FDA gets in. There just needs to be studies, regardless of the weather. The FDA needs to be involved. What do you think about reparations? I'm heated. Reparations? Yeah. It's deep. Man. Charlemagne the God, one of the hosts of The Breakfast Club and a a famous radio personality, he recently, I I think he was being interviewed, he talked about the the growing business interest uh, among African Americans in investing in marijuana. A lot of athletes uh, are doing that. Calvin yeah. Johnson, like we just we talked mentioned. about Calvin Ricky Johnson. Williams, Mike Tyson. All these guys, yeah. And it's something that in many ways we, we could say society has created an association between marijuana, street marijuana, and lower-income urban black communities. And that, that's another reason to legalize marijuana is to free up these jails of all these innocent people mm-hmm. that got locked up for doing something that's now legal in how many states? Right. It's ridiculous. Yeah, and that Schedule 1 thing has played a big role. Absolutely. It's, it's sort of like a let's seize the moment kind of thing and what this guy is, is uh, promoting, which I, I think is a very interesting conversation to have is what if the U.S. government supported a, a program, you know, obviously this would you know, require congressional support and, you know, popular support as well, but a, a program, federal supported program in which reparations were, were paid to the, the children, uh, the generations of African slaves in the form of investment bonds or, you know, investment accounts or, you know, some sort of subsidy perhaps in the marijuana industry. Now, to what extent, you know, you didn't really go into many details uh, and how how it worked, but I think it's an interesting idea. I think it's something that deserves thought because I I recently took a trip to Charleston, South Carolina, Mm -hmm. and... You learn the history, and it definitely makes you shake your head. And you look around, and you realize like that whole entire city was built through slavery. Mm-hmm. And then you think a little bit broader, and you realize, well, a lot of America was built through slavery, definitely oh, the yeah. South. Yeah, definitely the South, yeah. And so, yeah, I think that deserves thought. Yeah, and, you know, slavery lasted, you know, before it was abolished in, you know, the 1860s, you know, for well over 200 years. And there was an infrastructure. And, and the, I mean, there's probably the, the, some the sort of slavery, of slavery since the beginning of time. And the effects of slavery and sort of even the economic sort of tethering and, and layers and entanglements of slavery lasted for another hundred years and you know in some ways even to this day yeah and we talked about in the last episode about jackie robinson in the 1940s breaking the color barrier in baseball and then even to this day a few years ago the colin kaepernick situation so there is still a lot of uh, attention and 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 that's in america and we're not even talking in other parts of the world where it's a lot higher in certain areas so yeah, I think it's it's going to be an ongoing issue, and what, what, what can be done? Yeah, it definitely starts with education, awareness, conversation. Because I, I you know, I think at the core of it all, Tori is uh, is, is shame. You know, there's a lot of shame, guilt, um, and I've come to learn through my practice that those are those are powerful emotions. You know, those are emotions that are typically anchored to many layers, you know, of struggle and many layers of many layers of stress. Guilt can manifest itself as yeah. so many different things, depression, yeah, anxiety, panic, insomnia. Absolutely, man. And um, you know, I think the only way to to really heal is to be open. Just be, you know, be open. Yeah, absolutely. Being open about it and you mentioned before um Having a conversation, being able to talk about it openly and free, 
I know it's it's such a hot topic, such a tense topic to talk about, and immediately people pick sides. There are really no sides. History is history. Things happen the way they did. No one that is currently living was directly involved, but you have descendants of individuals on both sides, and you have a lot of people that weren't involved completely, but you get lumped in with the different sides, depending on your skin color oftentimes. But I think it's a conversation. I think it's a conversation that should occur with regards to how can the United States as a whole right their wrongs with regards to not only slavery, but taking over the land from the people that previously inhabited it. As an example, the Native Americans, they do get some concessions from the United States government, including tax-free land, um, among other things. But if you look throughout the annals of history, it's not friendly anywhere. And, and the human rights is kind of a new, new idea that we've created now over the last few decades. And obviously that's important for everyone. But uh, a great thing to bring up, Arm, and I think this is something we're going to have to talk about on another podcast episode for sure. But going back to this whole like schedule one thing. Imagine like this whole schedule one thing did get lifted and the NFL did lift its ban, right? And it allowed cannabis for at least medical use. How did that impact the, the NFL, for example? Well, I think we're going to figure out in due time whether or not it actually is helpful for what um, Percy Harvin and Calvin Johnson are reporting it's helpful for. For sure. We're going to know, and we're going to know if it's safe. We're going to know if it has diminishing returns, it will come to fruition. We'll figure it out a lot quicker. So hurry it up, government. <laughs> come on. But, but before, I wanted to talk a few more things, and then we probably should wrap this up. Yeah. Like we said, lift the Schedule 1, and then we can study it more because we can get that government money to study. We're already paying our taxes, so we might as well put it towards something that could be effective. For, for us, or we can determine that it's not effective and it's not safe for us. Yeah. So, NIH is a federally funded, therefore your taxpayer dollars funded organization. Mm-hmm. Right? National Institute of, of Health. Health. Yeah, that's right. And so there is a few studies out. If you Google PNAS, marijuana and youth, a couple of them will pop up for you. So there's been a couple. There's one in 2012 they started looking at kids from ages 13 to 38 longitudinally over time and they split up the groups and found out ones over time that were using marijuana versus ones that didn't and they did IQ testing simple IQ testing and they looked at it and in one of the studies it did show that consistent marijuana use and I think they quantified it as just more than two times per week resulted in a six point IQ decrease Mm. over time wow Six points. Yes. That's damn near a full standard deviation. What that means is you're not as smart as you necessarily would have been otherwise. So there's a lot of confounding variables, obviously, and they try to control for all these, but the jury's still out. So we don't know. All right, we all can say that marijuana does make certain people lazy, and it's been shown to cause kids not to go to school as much. So maybe it just makes you lazy, you don't go to school, and you know when you're in school, that's been shown to increase your IQ. So maybe it's just de facto, kind of in a secondary nature, you're not in school as much, so that's why your IQ goes down. Or is it actually working inside your brain to make brain changes that causes your IQ to go Six points is quite a lot. And and I don't necessarily think that IQ is so highly correlated with going to class that you're going to have that degree of decline just by the other thing not they mentioned is are these individuals that end up using marijuana are they almost genetically predisposed to be more likely to use the marijuana and therefore those individuals also are predisposed to have a lower IQ it would be interesting to see the data yeah you know. so another study came out if you'd google the same thing PNAS it's the same journal it was a twin study And they did a similar longitudinal study looking at thousands of individuals. And they actually didn't find any cognitive changes in the individuals who smoked marijuana. Oh, interesting. So what does that tell us? We don't know. A lot of confounders. Exactly. Maybe it does cause a decrease in IQ. Maybe it does cause brain changes. But we don't know because there's not enough studies. There's not enough government-funded studies on marijuana. 
So what yeah. do we need to do? Get rid of that Schedule 1 and let's start studying marijuana. Yeah. Maybe it is helpful for Percy Harvin's migraines and anxiety. Maybe it exacerbated his migraines and anxiety. Who knows? Yeah, no, that's so true. That's, that's, that's really good insight, man. Um, but we do know marijuana use is on the rise. Yeah. People are pushing THC and CBD to be the cure-alls of everything. Just like THC, there's, there's no studies using CBD. We're going to figure all this out in the next 10, 15 years. But I would advise pump the brakes a little bit. CBD is not the cure-all. THC isn't risk-free. Although it is a plant, we don't go around smoking all every single plant you see. Just because it's natural and grows out, of, grows out of the ground doesn't mean it's good for you. Arsenic's a natural compound that'll kill you. So yeah. think think twice. Maybe maybe do edibles instead of vaping. Definitely don't do vaping. Have you? It's been over like three hundred cases in the past year. What of is going acute on? Lung disease. Oh my god! People have this been dying. Vaping is a crisis. Yeah, these jewels. Oh. In the it, it is always <laughs> whatever something just seems too good to be true. You know, it's. it's I mean, like two years ago, I did, there was just this kind of like viral, explosive kind of popularity with vape pens. Yep. I mean, it, you know, it just kind of happened overnight. Oh, you, you ever think the tobacco companies? Oh, that God. market. Those marketing geniuses got their yeah. their greasy meat paws behind the little jewel marketing and just started pushing those out to kids, man. Yeah, they, they figured, yep, that's exactly what they did. All college you know, kids. They, they changed up the, they got the flavors <laughs> and and they made this huge mist. You they know, put so you on the <laughs> hamster wheel. You get addicted to that nicotine. You would see people walking around this cloud of white. Oh, you're mist. so sick, dude. Look, <laughs> look at Timmy. He's jeweling. He's sick. And you know what, man? Honestly, like, you don't I know a burn, lot of people dude. that used to do that stuff. And, you, and then they got these big, like, Tank in their hand that looks like a video game oh, controller yeah, or something. Nice little rig, put like some stickers on it. This thing, it just looks weird to me. Like I, th- even even before we had this this evidence, this data, you know, of this bad stuff. What's in these vapes? Solutions? It's like it just seemed like too intense for me. You know, like the whole production of the the vape white vapor all cloud. I'm not gonna lie some of those smells that I get I feel it's, like yeah a little pink it's lemonade too good to be true, burst man. or it's something I don't know but what's yeah, in these vape juices these these oils like well clearly it's something that is causing some static flow you know with your lungs because it's leading to this in these cases of pneumonia yeah that's how you're people getting are dying irritation inflammation your yeah. lungs have little tiny hairs on them called cilia those get inflamed really easily. And then when they get inflamed, guess what? You can't clear an infection easily or bacteria as easily yeah. or a virus. So you're going to get pneumonia. And a lot of people also are having reactions to this stuff and they're getting lung disease. And in some cases, people have died. So be careful because the yeah. data is still not out on these vapes either, jewel, nicotine-wise and marijuana-wise. So everyone just needs to cool their jets, take a little bit of a step back, and think about what you're fucking doing. The jury's still out. Let's make it legal. Let's make it Schedule Two. Let's get into the hands of these researchers, the clinicians, so yeah. we can can determine the appropriate dosages. The and the qual- make sure man. the quality, make sure it's safe, make sure it is effective for what you're trying yeah. to use it for. Yeah, I everyone mean, wins in the end. Yes, exactly. And you know what I think about when I see these cases, you know, of these kids dying from lung disease and, you know, these artists and entertainers dying in their prime as a result of overdose, right? What I think about is how much better the world would be if we could just regulate these things. Yeah, I mean, you can say what you want about big pharma. There's, you know, big pharma's in the news recently, right? You know, this pharmaceutical company, Purdue, Oh, they're paying uh, out and the two hundred and seventy million dollar lawsuit for what kind of amounts to be misleading advertisements and so forth. Yeah, say what you want about big pharma, and I get it. There definitely is a there are a lot of problems there. That industry needs to be regulated too. But these fools, they know how to attract money, okay? Because they're putting up billions of dollars for these trials and they, okay? the, these all these trials. trials. Take- five, 10 years. Over, yeah, over time. So they're committed. Okay. But this is 
the type of, of study, the type of science that you want to have, right, to know for sure this stuff works. So I'm all for that, all right? Like that stuff we want, right? And we also want companies, the manufacturing companies that are able to put the right, dose, right doses inside these capsules in these tablets, right? And we want doctors that are well-trained, right, that are able to, you know, make the right decisions about dosing schedules, you know, and about how to provide these yeah, things, right? how, to treat the, how, to, how to treat these conditions. Um, this is what we want. These are all good things. And this is what you can get from a, a health care regulated policy and regulated program when it comes to, to these drugs. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think a lot of people probably, like you said, get scared off by big pharma because you worry about ulterior motives. It's all money. It's capitalist society. Everyone's trying to make money, especially big pharma, Yeah. right? They'll push all these drugs on us so we get hooked on them and they just fill their pockets. But what about all the CBD companies? I can't listen to a podcast without hearing an advertisement for a CBD company. I can't drive a, around without seeing a new CBD store pop up or hear something on the radio or get an ad on my computer. So <laughs> I can name thousands of CBD companies right now. And then we live in California. How many medicinal and recreational marijuana shops have popped up in the past couple of years. What oh, about delivery? I can get on every corner. You can get on weedmaps.com right now and there's a shop on every single corner and they'll de- deliver it right to your door. Everyone's trying to make a, a buck. Everyone's trying to make money. So you can't shoo-shoo big pharma and then you're buying your CBD and your THC. Everyone's making money. Everyone. So there's there's money behind Everyone's all Everyone's got to get paid. Everyone wants to get a little piece of the pie. That's why Calvin Johnson, Ricky Williams, Mike Tyson, they, they, they yes, they see benefits from cannabis for themselves, but they also see if, like, let's get make some money out of this. Yeah. So Yeah, like, and, and, it, but, and if it's regulated. Exactly. Listen, regulation, I know, God, conservative Republicans hate that word, and I get it. I really do. I do. I understand... In theory, particularly when when it comes to my money, I don't want some other entity dictating what I'm doing with my money. I get that, but when it comes to health, something you're, and medicines, you know, and those in that industry, something you're putting inside your body, regulation, regulatory mechanisms coincide with that industry much better than I think most other industries. You know, I think there's just a lot there that can be done to help people. So, yeah, just like the FDA regulates drugs, what about the USDA that regulates our food? What we're putting what in our bodies? Them? What about them? We trust that. We, right, right. Right, especially out here in California, you want to get that certified organic. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, for a lot of people, it's difficult to put their trust in the government. But if you're paying taxes, I mean, you're already, you're putting money into it. So... Let's get some studies. Let's do it. Let's go to the National Mall right now. Go to Capitol Hill. Let's charge the hill. Excuse me. Let's go to Capitol Hill right now. Charge the hill. Let's do it. Let's go. (laughs) So, all right, ladies and gentlemen, I appreciate you guys tuning in. Ladies and gentlemen. We kind of, we wanted to make a PSA. We kind of jumped around a lot of different places. public, Public service announcement. All right. So before you light that spliff, before you roll that blunt, Mm. Think about it. Think Ask twice. yourself, what is one time? What is the marijuana giving me that I don't have? And with that, let's end the stigma. Let's continue the conversation. It can be to-